Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one, Exercising Bob, written by Simi Loki. My head was pounding like I had an entire road construction crew going to work on it. Each trihammer beat on my heart about like it would make my eyeballs pop out. I kept my eyelids shut and out of fear that if I opened them, that would be the last mistake I ever made. I wanted to reach up and slam the broken fragments of my skull back into place, but my head was currently floating ten miles away from my body, with only a flimsy string tethering it in place. If I sent a signal to my arms now, by the time they reacted, some stray breeze would have moved my head someplace else. Why did I feel like hell? And, more importantly, who was it that just crapped in their pants? The entire place smelled like cabbage and that had been left to rot out in the sun. Oh hell, please don't let it be me. How the hell was I supposed to wipe with my arms ten miles away? Why isn't he responding? A familiar voice said from nowhere while also being localized approximately where my left kidney should be if it hadn't been turned into a medium-sized sports arena. Perhaps, another voice said, who was also familiar, but just as hard to place, replied in a halting way. If we deactivated the neural desynchronizer first. A pause. It lasted somewhere between 10 seconds and 50 billion years. It was hard to tell because of all the donuts raining from my face. They screamed at me for murdering their family. I wanted to respond, but I didn't know which dialect of chicken they were using. I knew that, the first voice shouted back. I was just saying, he should be able to respond with it on. Weak-minded creatures, we only have it set to, um, um, 78%, 78. There were some muttered profanities. I ignored them because my right foot had stretched itself into an abu. I was playing a mean baseline on it, and the rest of the band said that it would be top of the charts any day now. The world wasn't quite ready for the jazz-fueled Marachi yet. Then, with a screech, the thing started snapping back into place. My head still hurt, but only as much as it could be expected from thrashing about and slamming it repeatedly on the floor. Something I had apparently been doing for some time. My kidneys were kidneys again. My foot was no longer a musical instrument. The air still reeked of crap, but with a quick flex on my butt cheeks and test for stickiness, I was reasonably certain that it wasn't me. So that was a positive. I opened my eyes and then shut them again. Nope, uh, I wasn't having any of this today. I just had the worst morning of my life and I was done with having my world inverted. I was promised this stuff was at an end. When I opened my eyes again, I would not, repeat, not find myself in a steel corridor with two green porpoises wearing yellow tracksuits standing in front of me. Hear that? No more of this. I opened my eyes. The porpoises were still there. Damn it. 
I closed my eyes and slowly pushed myself to my feet and opened them again. The porpoises were still there. Okay, they weren't exactly porpoises. Most porpoises don't have arms and legs with backwards bending knees. They do not have webbed seven-digit fingers either, nor do they typically have their elbows up close to their shoulder joints. But the head was almost a dead ringer for a green porpoise with silver eyes. One porpoise looked at the companion and then faced me again. Can you understand us? it asked. Ah, now I recognize that voice. Walter Cronkite had someone slip me acid. I bet it was Jerry. God damn it. If he had laced those dollar bills with acid, I'm going to sue. I think he's still confused. The second porpoise responded in a voice that sounded exactly like Howard Cosell. Of course I'm confused. I shot back at them. Now just give me a moment to think. I'm in the middle of a really bad trip and I need to get a grip on it before the walls start melting. Again, they exchanged a look. The Cronkite sounding one cleared his throat. Actually, he said slowly, you are not hallucinating, Mr. Abner. You really have been kidnapped by aliens who plan to conduct experiments on you. Castle kicked Cronkite, but not today, Cronkite added hastily. I mean, we are here on a friendly mission. At the moment, another kick. Peaceful mission. We have no plans on wiping out your civilization today. A third kick. Did I say wipe out? Cronkite sputtered. Slip of the bifurcated tongue. I meant to say, uh, would you like some refreshments? Yes, Kosal agreed, but a bit too eagerly. Some sea water, or perhaps a nice glass of clumpluff. A glass of what? I asked. Oh, uh, you don't have that on earth, Kosal said. You'll love it. It's made from the fermented liver of a bygone fish, and they have been partially digested by the... How about, I interrupted, we skip the culinary lesson and you two tell me why I'm here. The way I figure it, I will be collapsing in a puddle of screaming hysterics about, um, in 13 seconds. So give me a quick version while shock is still keeping me fairly numb. Okay? Oh, Cronkite said and looked from me to Kosal again. Kosal shrugged, which really was quite a feat considering his shoulders were set a lot further down on the torso than a human's would be. Well, Cronkite said at last, we sort of need your help. One of our crew got himself slightly broken and we need you to fix him. Gotcha, I said with a nod and frown. Unfortunately, your time is up. I'm going to start screaming now. They clamped their hands over their heads and winced in pain as I screamed my throat roar. Ten minutes later, I found myself sitting on a stool with weird indentations off to the side where, apparently, I was supposed to rest my legs. I guess that answers the question of what the chair would look like if our knees were bent the other way. I was feeling better for the most part and a lot calmer. Cronkite and Cosell were stood a few feet from me, and if they were any judge of alien mannerisms, they seemed a bit nervous. More sedative, Cosell asked and held up a hypodermic needle. Thanks, I said, but three is my limit. Um, are you sure you're supposed to, uh, you know? I waved my left arm to where the three hypos still jutted out from my bicep. Oh, uh, he said, struggling again. The instructions weren't very clear on that. I figured better safe than sorry. Right, I said, looking over at Cronkite. And sorry about the whole, um, kicking you in the throat thing. It was a bad place. No problem, he croaked. Accidents happen. 
As for the head-butting you in the crotch, I added, it's in the past, he said with a dismissive wave. And for saying that your mother gives jobs to Flipper, I concluded, okay, I'm still mad about that one, he said, but let's move past that. I nodded and, without asking for permission, reached over and started yanking the syringes free from my arm. So, I said at last, will someone tell me why I am here? Walter hacked a few times and then started speaking with his normal voice again. We are what you might think of as a scouting expedition, he explained, part of the, well, you cannot hope to pronounce the actual name. In our language it would be... I expected the language to sound like a series of high-pitched squeaks and clicks. He surprised me by going in a different direction. Moo, 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 he said with an air of immense formality, which roughly translates as all-conquering interstellar fleet of doom. Or badass from beyond, Castle added. That too, Cronkite agreed. The Moomoo language is a very complex and layered thing which can express incredibly complex ideas with just a very few concise words. Must make poetry a real headache, I said. Both of them scoffed. Poets, Cronkite scoffed. Nothing but a bunch of pretentious Moomoos who suck off the government's moo. If they weren't so worthless, they'd grab a gun and get a real job. He cleared his throat again. That's beside the point, he said. What I'm saying is that we selected Earth as our first planet of uh, conquest and, uh, I made a T between my palm and my left hand and the blade of my right. Time out, I said. What do you mean, first, you call yourselves the all-conquering, but you've never done this before. Everyone has to start somewhere, Cronkite said defensively, and we've never going to finish if you keep interrupting. Now, where was I? Oh, yes, the fleet sent us here to evaluate your species, probe your defenses, discover your weaknesses, and find out if your livers might taste good with Jenny. We thought a good way to do that was to link into your internet and television feeds and download it all into our biochips. You did what? I asked. You downloaded the entire internet into your brain. What? Clunk our eyes. No, are you kidding? Just a few highlights here and there. There's only so much we can learn from watching hundreds of hours of cat videos. Mostly, we hit Wikipedia and watched old episodes of The View. Why? I asked. Because it went downhill after Star Jones departed, Castle explained. It was going fine, Cronkite went on, except our third crew member fell asleep with his temp plant still plugged in and screaming. He woke up and, well, he now thinks he's a human named Bob. Bob? I asked. I know, Cronkite said. He could at least have picked a cool name. Anyway, we can't get him to remember who he really is, and we sort of need him back if we have any hope of getting home. Is he the pilot? I asked. No, Cronkite said. He's the son of the commanding officer. Ah, with you. Continue. As I was saying, we need him fixed. And? I asked. Well, since humans broke him, we thought that maybe you could fix him as well. I looked at them. So, I said, I fix him and you go back to tell your fleet to come in and destroy the Earth. Exactly, Cronkite said with a beaming. Don't exactly see what incentive I have to help you with this one. What? Cronkite asked, sounding genuinely baffled. If you don't help us, then we can't... Oh, crap. Coastal said, I knew we should have lied and told them that we were here to share the secrets of the universe. 
Well, you should have spoke up sooner, Cronkite scolded. Now I feel like a total rear. I held up my hand. If I could offer a suggestion, I said. They looked at my hand. I looked at it and realized that I was still clutching three hypodermic needles. I let them drop and tried again. What if, I said, I try to fix your friend and you just tell your bosses that Earth isn't a good planet to start with? You want us to lie to our commanding officer? Cronkite asked in a scandalized tone of voice. Were you going to tell him the sun wiped his own brain and became a human? Not the same thing, he protested. Fine, I said. Then I guess it's just moo, 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 huh? They withdrew from me half a step and looked at each other. I didn't know that you had read the Kation's works out way out here, Cronkite exclaimed. He's a brilliant philosopher, Kosal pointed out. Can true wisdom be contained to a single species? Cronkite looked at me and clasped his hands together. Moo, 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 moo. Moo, 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 I replied evenly. Cronkite looked annoyed. Well, that's just uncalled for, he said. Moo, I retorted. Good point, he agreed. Fine, we'll lie, but you have to fix him. We are counting on your expertise, Mr. Abner. Yeah, about that, I said as I stood up. Why did you pick me of all the people anyway? Our research methodology is beyond your understanding. Is it because I was the first in the phone book, isn't it? I asked. You listed yourself as a holistic cognitive therapist. Cronkite protested. His old cognitive process is broken. I just sighed and shrugged. I wasn't about to point out to those two that the reason I listed in the phone book was such was because the phrase holistic cognitive therapist wasn't an officially regulated profession. If I wanted to call myself a psychologist or a psychiatrist, that would require me to go to school for eight years, get a license, and be subjected to oversight by a regulatory board. Calling myself a holistic cognitive therapist just required me to rent an office space and place an ad in the phone book. A lot cheaper, a lot quicker, and it has a hell of a lot easier for me to navigate the hazards of non-existence ethics committees. Heck, half of the reason I started doing this was to get laid. During a college intro to psych class, a class which, to be perfectly honest, accounts for most of my formal training, they mentioned in passing that in the process of therapy that people tended to attach strong emotions to their therapists. Part of the reason ethics boards exist is because it is really easy for therapists to manipulate the emotions for their patients to get them into bed. So, uh, sign me up. I started this racket a few years ago with no real training and with only a vague idea of what I was supposed to charge people. Apparently, it charged a lot less, and some low-income health plan approached me with the prospect of sending a few of their members my way for treatment. I agree, and since then I have made a fairly comfortable living telling meth heads to stop doing so much damn tweaking. I still have yet to sleep with a patient, incidentally. I've had offers, yes, but for some reason, having a 300-pound woman with only four teeth in her head tell you about every bad decision in her life before flirting with you does strange things for your libido. I mentioned none of this as I followed the green guys down the corridor to the steel door at the far end. He's in here, Ronkite said unnecessarily. Right, I said with a nod. Anything else I should know before I go in? Violent tendencies, hallucinations, a tendency to sing Nancy Sinatra. 
He is non-violent, Conkite explained, and appears to believe that he's a plumber at the moment. Hey, plumber, I said, sure, why not? Okay, then wish me luck, Walter. Walter, Cronkite said. Sorry, I said sheepishly. It's your voices. I've been thinking of you as Walter and Howard. They fell silent, but, um, Kosal protested. Howard is a boy's name. It's short for Howard Dane, I stammered. Oh, Kosal said and seemed pleased for some reason. Cronkite opened the door using some handle that I didn't notice and practically shoved me into the next room. The door slammed shut behind me. I wasn't prepared for what I saw inside. Up until now, what I'd seen could be best described as submarine-inspired architecture, bestial corridors and spartan rooms. This room, however, looked like someone's idea of an office. Bookshelves lined the walls and tasteful potted ferns sat in the corners. In the middle of the room was an actual leather couch. I was so overwhelmed by the juxtaposition of the office inside the alien spacecraft that I almost failed to notice the third porpoise alien reclining on the couch. Hey, Doc, he shouted in a Brooklyn accent. Come on in and grab a chair. Don't bother with the books, though. I checked. There are just decorations, like the plants. The whole place is baker's cheese and a delivery pizza. I looked around. They did a mock-up of a psychiatrist office, I said aloud. So, you got snatched by those two knuckleheads, too? The alien asked. Yeah, grabbed me off to work last night. Sorry, forgot my manners. My name's Bob. He stood up and held out his hand as if to shake. I took it with an old, cold, and faintly slimy feeling. Standing so close to me, I realized why he'd been smudging crap for the entire time. It was their natural body odor. I took a step back, and he took what a cue to recline in the couch once more. Yeah, he said, not much to do around here, but wait. I looked at him. So, you think you were kidnapped? I asked. All I'm saying is that I was invited along all polite-like, he said. One moment I'm on the ground, next I'm up here. Like the others, his voice was familiar. This one I had harder time placing, however. It nagged at me, though, something that felt was significant for some reason. Have you looked in the mirror? I asked him. He held up a hand and looked at it. Oh yeah, he said, skin condition, don't worry about it. It's not just your skin, I said, your face, okay, so I'm not a looker, not all guys have all the luck. And your knees, I went on, old football injury, he explained offhand, doctors had a real tough time getting him fixed up, so they put them on backwards. You want me to complain, he asked, this was getting us nowhere. I looked around and found a rolling office chair. I tried to drag it nearer to the couch, but a loud scraping sound made me stop. I looked at the wheels. They weren't wheels, just knobs of plastic that looked like wheels. The rest of the room was a copy made by minds that could see but not understand the function. I picked up and carried it closer, settling down as I looked at him. Bob, I said, my name is Arthur Abner, and I am here to help you. Is that right? Get away back home. Not quite, I said, and I'm not sure how to tell you this, but I'm just going to ride ahead, okay? You've been in an accident. Like I totaled my van. Is this all a dream? No. You left the internet on too long in your brain, I explained. It's overcooked it. Doc, are you sure I'm the one that needs help here? You're not human, I said. You're an alien creature who absorbed too much human knowledge and it confused you. What are you? 
Some kind of nut. I gotta go to work. So, if you can't let me out of the sideshow, I will be on my way. You said you were coming back from a job. I said, what were you doing there? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Try me. Okay, he said. So this big studio guy has hired me to do a bit of snooping. Star actor thinks his girl is leaving him. Wait, I thought you were a plumber. Right, he said. So, like I said, this girl gets lost in the pipes and my brother has a crush on her. So, we followed her in and, uh, well, it gets a bit complicated. What with the rabbits and the T-Rex and all of that? He paused. Huh, he said. Wait, was there a rabbit? No, there wasn't a rabbit, but it turns out that the mushrooms were really a guy trying to help us, um, uh, he scratched his head. Think these guys must have addled my brains a bit, he said at last. I'm getting things mixed up. Anyway, what does that matter? Tell me about plumbing, I said. What should I do if my pipes start knocking? Tell them to come back later, he laughed. Am I right? Which is better, copper or PVC, I persisted. What do you want from me, he asked. What are you going to do with it? Let's say I'm installing a kitchen faucet, I said. Is PVC okay for that? Nah, he said. What you need to do is, uh, is, um... His expression turned curiously blank. I can't remember, he said. His eyes went wide as he looked at me. Doc, he said. My memory is gone. Can you help me? I nodded. I, I think so, I said. This type of therapy might be a touch uncomfortable, though. It's a little unorthodox, but I think it'll help. Are you going to ask me if I want to sleep with my mother? No, I said. This is a little something I call pugilistic therapy. Okay, because I totally do, and wait, what? I slapped him across the face. It hurt me a lot more than I expected, but I got him to rebound with a second blow anyway. You, slap. Ah, oh, slap, not, slap, slap, human. Hey, he protested as I wound up for another punch. What kind of crazy shrink are you? My entire planet's existence hinges upon me convincing you that you're not human, I shouted, and I intend to collect on any way or another. Wait, you what? He said. I pulled up a fist. No, he said, calm down, okay? This ain't worth it, not over some lousy tune. I lowered my fist. A what? I asked. I said, it ain't worth it, he repeated. No, I said. After that, the part about a lousy tune. A what? he asked. Finally, I recognized a voice. A voice that belonged to a British actor who, for unexplained reasons, was asked to affect a Brooklyn accent in two very different movies. One that was considered to a beloved classic, and the other a box office bomb. Bob, I said. Yeah, Hoskins, I added. Bob Hoskins, what's it to you? He asked. I looked at him. Of all the movies to try and stitch a coherent backstory for your life, why did you pick Super Mario Brothers? I swear, Unleashed would have been better, and at least you had Jet Li in it. What? He asked. Look, I don't know what you... That incoherent pseudo-dystopia spin-off of Surreal Video Game had barely a plot, I said. Much less history. How could you possibly mistake that for your life? I don't know what you're talking about, buddy, he protested. The other life, that was the dream. I'm a plumber. I'm not some, some Nancy boy alien who, who, who just really wanted to write poetry, but, but no. 
His dad wouldn't have it that way. Straight to the military for you, young man. I'm a man. I'm a human man. That other me isn't real. It's not. Hey, I said, it's not, he cried. I punched him hard in the mouth. My knuckles ached from it. At this point, I was doing it more for fun than anything else anyway. I don't think he even noticed what I was doing it. It's not, he said again, more to himself than me. I'm not some boring tuna brain. I'm a human. Please, I don't want to be that. They're so empty. What do you mean, empty? I asked in surprise. I mean empty, he explained. No life, no art, no wonder. Do you want to know why they went to conquer the universe? Do you want to know, really? Boredom. They don't know what else to do with their lives. They are so meaningless that they want to start wars just for something new. But they're too afraid to pick a fight with the big boys who might shoot back. So they searched everywhere for a smaller, softer target to hit. Someone without warp disks and subspace torpedoes. They found Earth and were still too cowardly to do without scoping it out first. I see, I said. They have nothing, he said. Most diseases have been eliminated. Food, taken care of by the Olsons. No money, no needs, nothing. They are a creative black hole, and any time someone tries to do anything with it, something artistic, they crush it down. They aren't just stagnant, they're dead. You seem to know a lot about them, I pointed out. And that language, he groaned, simple and concise. Ha! It's all a bunch of bovine braying. It takes them two hours to recite a restaurant menu. I can't take it. I had to get away. Get away? I asked. Yeah, I, uh... He stopped mid-sentence and his fists clenched. I, I, I... He stammered and looked at me helplessly. I mean, I dreamed I was. It was all, um... He looked at his hands again. It's not a skin condition, he said. It wasn't a question, but I decided to answer him anyway. No, I agreed. It's not. And the football injury wouldn't make your knees point the other way, I agreed. Face it, you're a moo-moo. He blinked once and then looked at me. Okay, your accent is terrible for one thing, and that wasn't even grammatically correct. Who taught you the moo? I'm sort of winging it, I admitted, but your crew swears I can quote Carithian. They wouldn't know Kayon from Shinola, he said with a grunt. I think you're right. I'm not human. Sorry, I said, and I'm not sure why. I'm not even a particularly good soldier, he added. Would you like to hear some of my poetry? Sweet Jesus, no, I exclaimed before I could stop myself. He nodded, for I expected this. Common reaction, he said with a sigh as he swung his legs over the side of the couch and stood up. I guess it's time we went back. I guess, I said, but could I ask you one thing? Sure, he said with a shrug. What's on your mind? If you wanted to be a poet, why didn't you just tell your father to mind his own damn business and become a poet? Poets are despised in my culture, he said. They don't really have jobs. They live off the government like leeches. Who is funding this expedition? The government? Why do you ask? Oh. Hey, you're a clever one, aren't you? You have a post-scarcity technology base, I pointed out. What does it matter what your job is? It's not like you'll be lacking in anything if you took one job over another. He just stared at me for a moment, porpoise jaw hanging slack. He looked around as if taking in the entire ship. You're right, he said. What the frick am I doing here? 
I took that as a cue that it was time to leave. We exited the room and I met Walter and Howard Den outside. Is he fixed? Cronkite asked before I could say or do anything. Get the frick out of my way, Bob said and it pushed past him. I'm taking this bucket home. For certain values are fixed, I admitted as I slapped my hands together and rubbed them quickly. Now there's a small matter of my fee. Fee? Howard Dane asked. Your fee is what you don't destroy your planet. Technically, I pointed out, that was just for convincing him that he wasn't human. The part where I got him to face his issues with being both a disappointment to his father and belonging to a miserable excuse of a species counts as actual therapy. What are you? Cronkite began, but was cut short with the ship shuddering. They both looked around. He started the warp drive, Cronkite squeaked and then looked at Cassell. We don't have time to argue with him. Just give him a bag of diamonds and send him on his way. I heard his species likes those. Diamonds are good, I agreed. Cronkite didn't say anything more and just spun around and raced after Bob. Cassell, on the other hand, hustled me over to the opposite direction towards a small hatch. She tapped a few buttons beside the hatch and the door swung open. I programmed this to take you home, she explained. Just get inside and hold on tight. The pod will do the rest. Once it lands, you have 30 seconds to get free before it explodes, so your scientists won't research the technology. What? I shouted. It explodes? Just a little, she said. You'll have plenty of time. Now get in there quickly. I scrambled inside. I found more of the strange stools attached to the floor. I straddled one of them and looked back. Gosal looked at me for a moment and then glanced over her shoulder before looking back at me. Thank you, she said, for fixing him. She tapped a few more unseen buttons and a drawer popped out of the wall next to her. She reached in and selected a small pouch. It was so small that it could easily fit inside a clenched fist. She tossed it to me. That's from Walter, she said as she reached up to the top of her tracksuit. This is from me, she concluded as she pulled down the zipper. The suit peeled away from her skin like a banana to revealing a perfectly smooth lump of putty next to her green flesh underneath. She had her bad back and closed her eyes. Um, thanks, I said at last. She zipped up. You're probably right, she said hastily. We don't have time to make love, what? The door slammed in my face and the pod shook around me. Then there was nothing but silence. Then more silence after that. I was actually starting to get somewhat bored when I felt a bone-shaking jar come from everywhere at once and the hatch swung open again. Ahead of me, I saw a parking lot of my apartment complex. A computerized voice began counting down from 30. I jumped out of the door and ran. And this guy is out here repossessing my car, the woman who sat in the chair across from me repeated for a third time, just because I missed eight or nine payments. I wondered for the hundredth time about what sort of shape the chair might be in when this was over. The woman's enormous gut overflowed over the armrests and drooped down to the sides. Her hair was stringy and yet somehow also matted, and she did not look like she had bathed in some time. And I kept calling Jimmy to come and help me, but he just sat there playing Xbox. She went on, like he didn't even care that I can't buy groceries for our kids no more. He don't care about nothing except those damn games. I thought you said you owned a PlayStation. I reminded her as I glanced at my notes. That's in the bedroom, she said testily. The Xbox is in the living room with a high def. Anyway, 
Where am I supposed to find money to get the groceries now? I have to take the Uber to get anywhere. Don't you live just off the bus line? Do you know what sort of people ride the bus? She asked. She scowled for a moment more, and then her expression changed. She reached up and flipped a stray lock of hair over her shoulder and batted her eyes at me. You know, she cooed, you're a really good listener. I glanced at my watch. Oh, thank God, I said, and then looked up. I mean, Mrs. Henderson, that your hour is up. I need to get ready for my two o'clock. Oh, she said, just as she tried to pry herself out of the chair. I understand. I'll be back next week. Yes, I agreed grimly. I'm afraid you will. She grabbed her things and did a slow, agonizing shuffle out the door while breathing heavily. I sighed with relief after she left. I only had a few moments to rearrange the furniture. I had just moved the chairs out of the way when there was a polite knock at the door. It's open, I called as I hurried over to the bookshelf for the far end of the room. On it was something that looked like an untrained observer, like an oversized shoebox. As I put the box on my desk and opened it up, the room filled up with the unmistakable smell of turds. Hi, a questioning voice that sounded way too much like Dan Aykroyd for my taste said from the doorway. A poet friend of mine said you helped him out a lot. Yes, I said as I tugged the boxing glove out and smiled. Come on in and shut the door. I'd like to introduce you to the alternate therapy style. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.